Well, about 10 years ago, I started uh, experiencing significant pain in my right shoulder. And I kind of figured it would go away on its own, but when it didn't, I started doing some exercises, figuring it was sort of a use it or lose it situation. When that didn't help, I kind of just gave up on it. I mean, it hurt so much that I just sort of stopped using it to try to avoid the pain. And despite my attempts to avoid the pain, it just got worse. And before long, I could barely even lift my arm without help. I kind of accepted this reality and I lived like this for years until my kids got to the age where they started baseball and I realized I would never be able to have a catch with them. Now, maybe I watched Field of Dreams way too many times, but this felt like a huge dad fail. And seeing my frustration, Sarah Jade did for me what I seemed unable or unwilling to do for myself. She started booking medical appointments for me. The doctors, osteopaths, physiotherapists. I went to acupuncture, acupressure, Reiki, massages, and everyone promised results, but nothing helped. Until I found dry needling. It's basically the exact opposite of acupuncture, which is really all about uh, re relaxation and uh, pain relief. Dry needling, as I understand it, is about leaning into the pain rather than trying to soothe it creating micro-traumas in the affected area in order to try to induce healing. And however it works, I walked out of each appointment feeling like I'd been hit by a bus. But after each session, I actually saw noticeable results. And after only a handful of sessions, I had regained full motion in my shoulder. Uh, that was almost two years ago. I've never had to go back for any more treatment. I have full range of motion and I no longer experience the kind of pain I lived with for so long. In fact, this summer, I was able to be one of the coaches on both of my kids' baseball teams. It's been a near miraculous journey of healing for me. But I'm actually kind of ashamed that it took me so long to address the issue. You know, I remained stuck for years because I was focused not on getting healthy, but on avoiding pain. And while I'm pretty embarrassed to admit that to you, I wonder how many of us do the same thing when it comes to our emotional and spiritual health. How many of us, because we've never learned how to navigate our pain in an emotionally healthy way, allow the parts of us that are broken, damaged, or just aren't working properly to remain unaddressed and unhealed. Well, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro uh, refers to this season of stuckness, emotional and spiritual stuckness, as the wall. And our next step in our journey towards emotionally healthy spirituality is what he refers to as the journey through the wall. Now, the wall actually comes from another book called The Critical Journey, uh, in which author Janet Hagberg describes the different stages of spiritual growth. And in it, she suggests that the wall, a prolonged period of crisis, pain, and stuckness, is actually the most critical stage in our spiritual development. And this isn't a new idea. Her work is actually built off the writings of St. John of the Cross, who was a 16th century Spanish mystic who described the wall as the dark night of the soul. Now, dark nights or walls 
uh, for many people, they come in the form of a personal crisis, like the loss of a job, a medical diagnosis, or death of a loved one, a prolonged period of singleness or infertility, the fracturing of a friendship, or even the end of a marriage. For others, uh, this crisis comes more uh, of a spiritual nature, uh, like persistent doubt or spiritual dryness, unanswered prayers, maybe a new idea or perspective that challenges deeply held beliefs, you know, when easy answers no longer satisfy life's big questions. Schizero suggests that 80% of Jesus' followers are stuck at the wall at any given time. And while all our walls look different, they share some common features. They cause us to question our faith, ourselves, our upbringing, question our community, and even our view of and belief in God. Now, this is actually a really important stage in our journey towards spiritual maturity, even though sometimes it can kind of look like or feel like we're abandoning our faith or walking away from God. Scazzaro suggests that when some people walk away from God, they're actually getting closer to the true God. Now, what in the world does he mean by that? Well, the thing is, we all bring our own illusions and projections to our faith. In other words, um, much of our God concept actually comes from our life experiences, our uh, deepest longings and greatest fears, our experience of authority figures like parents, teachers, police, or even pastors. And all of these experiences kind of shape how we think about God. It's kind of like how Mark Twain joked, we create God in our own image. And even if you think that your concept of God comes from the Bible, most of us are generally unaware of the degree to which our unconscious biases color and shade the way that we understand and interpret the things that we read. You know, how our eyes gravitate towards things that affirm pre-existing notions and kind of just skip over things that don't seem to fit. And these um, incomplete and sometimes even inaccurate images of God directly shape how we approach a life of faith. I'll give you an example. Um, I think most of us actually live subconsciously with this idea that there's sort of a handshake deal between us and God. You know, if I work hard, I'll succeed. If I'm a nice person, people will like me. If I trust God and follow Jesus, I'll live a hashtag blessed life. I mean, sure, life is hard, but as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, God won't let me suffer too much. As long as I marry a Christian, I won't have all the marital issues that some people seem to have. And if I send my kid to a good youth group, they won't go off the rails. If I read my Bible and pray every day, I'll find happiness and fulfillment. And on and on it goes. And we may not say it that way, and some of you may even protest and say, I don't think that way. Um, but when our lives hit the wall, when life seems to not work out the way we thought it would, when our prayers go unanswered, when we do all the right things and get all the wrong results, when we feel like our faith no longer works the way we thought it was supposed to, those feelings of disappointment and hurt that we feel sometimes towards God or the church, 
they betray the fact that that thinking has sort of crept into our subconscious. And in that season of disillusionment, we tend to respond with things like avoiding the problem, you know, pretending it doesn't exist or just powering through. Maybe we commit to have more faith and work harder to please God. Or we can start to blame other people or even feel like we're under attack. We can get angry, bitter, or even just complacent and walk away altogether. The, the reality is, is that these coping mechanisms are pretty normal and natural because very few of us were raised to process our pain in an emotionally healthy way, you know, to feel our feelings and to face our fears. But for the few who find the courage to stay at the wall, to endure the dark night of the soul, to see pain not as a problem to fix, but as a process to face. Well, those uh, people who do that discover that, that the wall is a place where deep healing and transformation can happen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul describes his experience at the wall. He says that because of the extravagance of those revelations, he had just been describing these amazing visions God had given him. He says, because of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. The Apostle Paul, in his journey towards spiritual maturity in Christ, found himself stuck at a wall. And what this version refers to as a handicap, some other translations describe as a thorn in his flesh. Now, we're never told exactly what this thorn was, but we know it was severe. So much that, that Paul, like so many of us at our own walls, begs and pleads with God, please remove this from me. Three times he says, I did that. And then God told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength come, comes into its own in your weakness. And once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating it as a gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. And now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Now, Paul doesn't blame God for what's happening in his life. In fact, he's actually pretty clear uh, that this thorn came from some kind of satanic source. And it's probably important to call a timeout and say at this point that God doesn't send evil or pain into our lives to teach us a lesson. God doesn't do that. It doesn't work that way. Now, God recognizes that pain can be a, a tremendous teacher. And so Jesus who is well acquainted with suffering, enters into our pain with us to help us 
lean into it and leverage it, you know, to, to allow these micro traumas to induce healing and transformation in us. And once Paul recognizes what God wanted to do in him through this pain, through this thorn, his whole perspective shifts and he begins to see his handicap as a superpower. You know, this is God's way of protecting him from the sin of pride and conceit and, and of drawing him into deeper dependence on the grace and strength of Jesus. In the end, he sees his thorn as a gift. Now, I've had uh, several walls in my life. When I was 21, I was invited to uh, go help launch a brand new church in Calgary, Alberta. So I packed up all my belongings and headed west to a city where I didn't know anybody. Uh, the handful of people that were gathering in a rented gym they hired me to be the worship pastor, but the church didn't have any money to pay a salary, so I had to work uh, waiting tables to pay my way. With only one year of Bible school under my belt, I really had no education, no training, no experience, and no clue what I was doing. Early on, I remember going to a, a retreat for local pastors and standing among these seasoned spiritual leaders, I felt like an imposter. At one point, I went for a walk and I cried out to God, what on earth am I doing here? Had I made a huge mistake? Had I misheard? You know, was I a fraud or just a failure in the making? I wish I could tell you that the heavens parted and I heard the reassuring voice of God, but in truth, those feelings persisted for years. But rather than ignore my feelings or just quit, uh, I held those feelings prayerfully before God. And in that season, God taught me what the Apostle Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 3, where he says that not, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. You know, acknowledging my imposter feelings and my very real incompetence and inadequacy, God was able to uh, help me learn to rely on the competency of Christ rather than just trying to drum up some of my own. Another wall that I experienced was being single at 30. Now, I know that many of you have experienced singleness much longer than that. In fact, it's not even that old. But when I was 30, all my friends were almost a decade into marriage, many of them with school-aged kids already. And it was like I was the only one who couldn't figure it out. I felt like love had passed me by. Again, rather than just ignore those feelings or try to manipulate and change my circumstances, I, I did my level best before God to lean into my singleness. And in that season, God rooted out all kinds of unhealthy things in me and taught me what true single-minded devotion to Christ looks like. The kind that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he wrote that an unmarried person is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how they can please the Lord. But a married person is concerned about the affairs of the world and how they can please their spouse. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. These verses were very real to me, and I'm convinced that I 
wouldn't experience the same kind of single-minded devotion to Jesus even now as a married person if I hadn't been single for so long. And, and I want to call a time out and say that if you are experiencing prolonged, maybe even lifelong singleness, I want you to know that from our perspective, certainly from the Bible's perspective, you've been given a gift. And not only that, you are an incredible gift to our community. But the most painful wall I've ever experienced so far happened back in 2012 when after a decade as part of our church's leadership team, I was demoted and my job was given to someone else. You know, without getting too into it, there were some relational breakdowns and divergent perspectives that led to my demotion. It was incredibly painful. It was also humiliating. I don't know if you've ever experienced sudden unexpected job loss, but it's embarrassing and scary. And, you know, add to that the feelings of uh, betrayal and abandonment from some of my closest friends, the economic impact on my family, and worst of all, the sense that the call of God on my life had been ripped away from me. It was traumatic to say the least. I wanted to fight, I wanted to flee, but something inside me, and I trust it was God's spirit, felt like this was a season I needed to go through. I remember saying to somebody that if I have to go through this, at the very least, I wanna make sure that I get the full value for everything God wants to teach me in this season. You know, and despite going through uh, an experience at the wall that lasted for seven years and was incredibly painful. I can tell you that so much of the emotional healing and even spiritual maturity that I've been fortunate enough to experience was because of the work that Jesus did in me during that period at the wall. You know, the sense of injustice that I felt about having the call of God ripped away from me helped me realize the sense of entitlement with which I'd held that calling, you know, as if it were mine to own. You know, as I saw pride being ripped out of me over and over again, pride I never even realized I had, I began to see how in light of eternity, my life, my work, this church, and my sense of calling really aren't that important. I mean, the church and the kingdom of God are going to go ahead without being the least bit dependent on Tom Lowen. The feelings of betrayal and abandonment led me into an intense uh, period of loneliness and isolation, during which I discovered that I actually really do need other people. As I examined and reevaluated my independent streak, uh, I discovered uh, the value and benefit in the perspective and input of others in ways I hadn't experienced before. The humiliation I suffered showed me just how much I'd cared about my reputation, you know, maybe striving too much to impress people than to just love and serve them. The powerlessness I suddenly felt showed me just how comfortable I'd grown with having power, little as it was, and it drove me to my knees, Jesus showing me that I needed to learn to submit. The hurt 
and disappointment I felt towards others brought me face to face with the reality of the hurt and disappointment that I'd caused them, which motivated me to learn how to be more gracious and gentle with people knowing how much I needed that. You know, it took me almost seven years to get to the point where I could truly uh, let go of all of the outcomes and expectations that I thought I was owed. Ironically, it was only a few months later that I was invited to return to the role I'd previously had and rejoin our church's leadership team. And you might think that there was a sense of vindication in that, but truthfully there wasn't because I no longer needed there to be. See, despite what had led to my demotion, I no longer viewed that period of my life as a wrong that needed to be righted, but rather as a, an opportunity where God was able to do all kinds of healing and invite me into emotional and spiritual growth. I began to see this thorn as a gift. And while I never would have chosen it, I'm incredibly grateful to God for the way that Jesus used this season of my life to address some of the unhealth and immaturity in me, to draw me into deeper dependence on Jesus, and to show me that there's actually a, a more emotionally healthy way to live and love and lead and follow Jesus. My seasons at these walls helped me to experience what Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, when he said, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You see, walls and dark nights, they prepare us to abandon our lives, our false selves, false gods, false narratives, false sense of control. And only when we are able to lose ourselves in pursuit of Christ to fully let go, are we able to discover the, the true life that awaits us on the other side of the wall. See, on the other side of the wall, we're able to live with a, a far greater acceptance and appreciation for our need for Jesus. On the other side of the wall, um, we've been able to leave behind many of our misconceptions about God. And while we may not have all kinds of new clarity, we're, we're able to be more comfortable living in the mysterious unknowing. On the other side of the wall, we've learned how to wait upon the Lord with patient endurance. And on the other side of the wall, we can live with a, a greater degree of detachment from things we once held onto so tightly. And in that letting go, Christ is formed in us. So what about you? What wall are you stuck at in your life these days? What dark night does your soul find itself in? And more importantly, how are you choosing to go through it? Are you trying to avoid the pain? You know, pretend it doesn't exist, power through, maybe blame others or just give up altogether? Or are you and I willing to do the hard but emotionally healthy work of embracing the wall with all its hardship and pain? You know, what deep healing and personal transformation awaits you on the other side of the wall 
if you'll just move towards your pain rather than just trying to make it go away. Now, I don't want to minimize how hard this is going to be. You know, the thing that makes dark nights so dark isn't just the incredible pain we feel, although that's real. What makes them so dark is how darkly obscured the path is and how uncertain the outcome. You know, there's no guarantee that if you move towards your pain, that you're going to be on the other side of the wall in six months or even in seven years. But what I can promise you is that in your pain, in the dark night, at that wall, you will encounter Jesus. Jesus will be there with you, for you, loving you, healing you, mending and restoring you, and drawing out the image of God in you in ways you maybe never imagined were possible. The question is, will we stop running, stop resisting, stop fighting and fleeing and avoiding the pain, and instead move towards our pain, let go of our desire for control, and truly discover the healing and wholeness that Jesus has for us on the other side of our journey through the wall. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these difficult seasons in our life. And even though sometimes it feels hard to be thankful for them, we appreciate them. We're so grateful for the way that you use even some of the most painful experiences we go through to heal us, to shape us, uh, to help us uh, reject some of our false ideas and misconceptions about you and to have a more purified, single-minded devotion to you, Jesus. Give us the courage and strength to open ourselves up to the work you want to do in us, to soften our hearts, uh, to take even the broken pieces of our faith and to bring us to healing and wholeness. God, in our weakness, we're so grateful that like you said to the Apostle Paul, that you are strong, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so we trust you and we invite you to lead us and guide us and carry us through the wall. Amen.